listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. You ever been accused of something that's completely false and it just sticks with you for a while? You're like, I can't believe. For instance, when I was young, I mean, this goes way back. This is old. Um, I was probably about six. Yeah, I know, a long time ago. Six years old. After church one Sunday, I get invited to this other kid in my, I mean, I would call him a friend, but when you're six, I mean, friendships come and go, let's be honest. I mean, who hangs out with the friend they knew from their six? If you do, awesome for you. That's great. But this kid in my Sunday school class invited me over to his house after church. His name was Chuck. Um, a kid named Chuck. That's an awesome name for a kid. Um, I'm sure it was popular the one time. Maybe it was Charlie. Let's go with, let's go with Chuck, though. Um, so he invites me over to his house. I go to his house, and I don't really remember what we did. I just, I don't, I don't have a clue. I just remember we played in his yard and stuff. About a week and a half later, my mom gets this phone call from some other lady in our church saying that me and Chuck were playing with Ouija boards and into witchcraft. I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. This is not a lie. This is a true story. I didn't know what a Ouija board was. I thought Mario and Luigi board sounds fun. I, I'm like, I didn't see that anywhere, but it would have been awesome. And my mom's like, no, it's something. It's the devil and there's ghosts. And I'm like, mom, I wasn't doing any of that. And like, there was like this legit, like four like people got together and was like talking to me and Chuck about witchcraft. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm, I'm six years old. I don't, to this day, I remember like a few years later, I'm in Walmart with my mom or some store, and I see this game. I'm like, I don't, I'm holding it. My mom walks up. She's like, put that down. I'm like, why? She's like, it's a Ouija board. I'm like, it says Uja on it. I don't, he, everybody knows what I'm talking about. It says Uja. It doesn't say, I had no clue what this thing was, but yet to this day, that name Chuck still like, ugh, saying I was in witchcraft. I'm like five years old. I didn't know what this thing was. Like, when you're accused of something falsely, and you know that it completely it's false, it sticks with you a little bit. My wife, she still brings this up, and it's, you could tell it's a sore spot. When she was like in middle school, her parents insisted that she was sneaking out of her window to talk to all the neighbor kids, and she worked across the street at this restaurant. Her parents insisted that she was climbing out of this window and talking to all her friends out, like you know, like I don't know. Is the windows a cool place to hang out? I don't, I don't know. But she, they, they thought that she was literally climbing out of the window, which had a big old metal fan in the window, correct? Yeah. One of those, do you guys remember those old fans that stuck in the window and they filled up the whole thing and they weighed like 300 pounds, like you know, the big green blade? I mean, maybe my family was old and we just had like antiques for fans, but that's what we had and that's what my wife's family had as well. This thing was huge. And so her family insisted that she was sneaking out of the window, so they put nails and screws in the top of the window just in case she decided to get a drill out. And go. It's still, when she brings that up, you can tell there's like, I never snuck out the window, but yet they still believe to this day that I... When you're accused of something, it, it sticks a little bit. And here when we're walking through the book of Mark, we see this strange portion of Scripture where Jesus is accused of something, and um, it's a little more intense than just just sneaking out of a window. It's a lot. So let's look at the book of Mark chapter 3 um, as we go through this together. We're going to start in verse 20. And let me set the stage for those of you who weren't with us last week. Um, Jesus, Jesus just had a crowd of people following him for his miracles. Then he calls some up to the mountain. They go up to the mountain and he appoints them as disciples and gives them authority. Okay, so that's, that's the backdrop of where we're at here. So starting in verse 20, then he went home 
And the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. We'll get back to this part in a few minutes. Verse 22, And the scribes who came from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he cast out demons. And he called to them to him, and he said to them in a parable, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself, it is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven to the children of men. And whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit has never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Now who's ever read this portion of scripture and just been like, what in the world is going on here? He says there's a sin that can never be forgiven. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's okay. Who's ever freaked out a little bit about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I don't know. What, just two of us. Awesome. Me and Bob are the only ones that's been like, this is a big deal. It says I can't be forgiven. The rest of you guys just have no... You're like, it doesn't matter. It's okay. All right. Well, me and Bob will talk here for a little bit. I remember growing up and like, you just want to avoid this because blasphemy of the Holy Spirit can never be forgiven. It's an eternal sin. What is this that Jesus says is eternal? I can't forgive this. It's a big deal. If you're, if me and Bob, we'll, we'll just look at you. Sorry. Bob, since you've been wondering this before, you probably haven't committed it. Um, if there's a softness in your heart that just is vulnerable saying, I hope I've never committed this, let me ease your minds for a second. You probably haven't done this, okay? Let's, we'll walk through this and I'll explain. Let's go back and look at verse 32, or 20, 23. I just went dyslexic for a second there. 32, no, 23. We'll go to that one. And he said to him, and he said in the, to them in a parable, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided, divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself, it is divided and he cannot stand, but it is coming to an end. The Pharisees see Jesus, they see this crowd, they see what's going on, and they come to him, and they see him casting out demons, and they say, he is casting out demons as the prince of demons, as Satan himself. Their logic says, well, their lack of logic says, that, says about Jesus, look, he's casting out demons because he's a demon, because he's got the, the devil doing this. And Jesus says that makes no sense. You can't do that. How could Satan cast out Satan? See, do you ever argue with somebody and like you, you like make a clear case and the facts are all there and yet they still refuse to like go ahead and give in? Like they just, they know they're wrong. They're just like, I know I'm wrong, but yet verbally they say that they're right. I mean, I got a coworker like this and so we, we talk about sports a lot. And, um, as a, as a Miami Dolphins fan, this is my first good year in 10 years. So, you know, it's so far it's okay. But anyway, he's a Jets fan. And one thing we have in common, we do not like the New England Patriots. That's, sorry if you're a Patriots fan. I apologize, kind of. But we don't like them. And this, my coworker constantly is going off about how bad Tom Brady is. Like, he's just the worst quarterback. Tom Brady, for those of you guys who don't follow sports, is the quarterback for the Patriots, the main guy, the big, big deal for them. And he's going off every day. And 
I also has a, have a dislike for him. But I can look at the facts and say he's probably one of the best quarterbacks ever, which is hard for me to say as a Dolphins fan. It's true. Sorry. But my coworker will insist that this is false, that he's the worst quarterback ever. I'm like, how can – wait a minute. How, how can you say that? The, the fa- I understand you have a bias and you don't like him. But how can you say this when clearly the facts are opposite? I don't know if you ever had that kind of argument that goes nowhere with because they're, somebody's so maybe – okay, I'm just the only one arguing with people, I guess. I'll, I'll stop arguing with people. But see, what happens here is the Pharisees come to Jesus, and they're not just trying to have an argument and have a debate. They're clearly accusing him of something that they know is not right. They're looking at him out of the hardness of their hearts, and they're saying he's doing this out of the demonic demonic spirit. And Jesus says, you can't, Satan can't cast out Satan. It doesn't make any sense. It goes against logic. It's in their hardness of their hearts that they accuse him and they credit his work in a way that doesn't even make sense. We see in, Mar- in Matthew chapter 12, when Jesus, it's the same story, and we, we see this little extra blip there, and it says Jesus knows their hearts, seeing their hearts. Jesus looks at them, and he realizes it's, it's not that they're just saying this. They, he knows that their hearts are hardened toward me, that they will not accept what I do. And so in a lack of acceptance, they are saying the opposite of what they know, that, know to be true. They are refusing to even acknowledge who I am and what I do. Instead, they blaspheme the work of the Spirit. They say my work is something other than what it is. Is that beginning to make sense a little bit? We'll, we'll walk through this a little bit more. See, this is more than just being confused about who Jesus is. In Matthew 12, Jesus, the same story here. He says, if I cast out by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast out? See, this probably isn't the first exorcism. This probably isn't the first time we see demonic work and, and people going against the demonic work. It was something clearly that there's been experience before. We even see in Luke 12, it gives us the idea that Jesus, they're shocked. The crowd's shocked that Jesus is doing this because he does it with one word. There's not a process. There's not, there's not a way that the, that the Pharisees have cast out demons. Jesus is doing this with one word. And so the crowds are amazed by this. And so the Pharisees, even though they've seen exorcisms, they look at Jesus and they say, we refuse to believe that this is from God. Even though exorcism can be from God, they say, we refuse to believe this, so it's got to be from the devil. This is not confusion here. This is not doubt. This is more than doubt. This is a hardening of the hearts. See, they saw the witness of the Holy Spirit through Jesus, and they said that it was demonic. In Matthew 12, we also see that right before this, it says that this is the one I will pour, put my spirit upon him. God says that about in the same chapter in Matthew 12. The work of the spirit is on Jesus, enabling him to do the things that he does. And they look, the Pharisees look at it and say, this isn't the spirit. This isn't God. This is the devil. This is Satan. In, in the book, um, Systematic Theology by Lewis Burkhoff, this is what he says about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The sin consists in the conscious, malicious, and willful rejecting, rejection and slander against the evidence and conviction of the testimony of the Holy Spirit, rejecting the grace of God in Christ. And they attribute it out of hatred and enmity to the prince of darkness. In committing that sin, man willfully, maliciously, and intentionally attributes what he clearly recognizes as the work of God to the influence and operation of Satan. They are clearly seeing something that is the work of God and saying, 
I don't want to believe that. I refuse to accept that. I attribute it to the devil. He goes on to say this, that the sin self is not in doubting the truth, but in the contradiction that goes contrary to the conviction of the mind, the illumination of the conscience, and even to the verdict of the heart. This is something deeper here than just doubt. If you've ever doubted God, let me ease your mind. It's not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You, you haven't blasphemed him if you've just had doubt in your life. Let's be honest. We've all wondered and doubted and tried to question our faith and worked through our faith. That's not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So hopefully you're like, okay, this is not doubting God. Thomas doubted God. He's still good. He's all right. This is not denying God. Peter denies him three times. And it was not an eternal sin. It wasn't sealed off for him because he denied God. This isn't even cursing God. It's not good. You shouldn't curse God. But this is not cursing God. This is not saying bad things about him. This is a hardening of the heart that refuses beyond conviction and even evidence of Jesus and the testimony of the Spirit that he is not who he says he is. I've, also, I've often heard, not often, I've also heard some people say that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is seeing the gifts of the Spirit and they're not really from God, they're from the devil. Which doesn't make sense because it's kind of the same thing that the Pharisees say about Jesus because he was doing the gifts or doing works and they say that's from the devil. It's kind of the same thing, but that's not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. This is not, okay, let me just be real honest. I grew up very Pentecostal in a very charismatic home and my grandfather spoke in tongues all the time. I was three years old and I, there's an audio recording of me pretending to be a pastor and pretending to speak in tongues. That was not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I was just a three-year-old who was repeating what I saw. This is not gifts. This is not the spiritual thing. That's not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So let me, hopefully, hopefully you're not walking around pretending to speak in tongues. That'd be silly. But uh, you're all grown adults here. I mean, I was three. But um, hopefully that's not you. It's not doubt. It's not disbelief. It's something deeper here. See, we see here in Mark, this is probably one of the most frightening things in Scripture, I think. That it's possible to see the hand of God, to see him evident in our lives, see the work of the Spirit, and still out of stubbornness and pride, we call it something else. We see God move and we just don't want to acknowledge him for who he is. We just don't want to give in and out of pride, we, we call it things like luck or hard work or coincidence or, or wishful thinking or whatever. And we refuse to accept Christ as truth. See, you can reject all the work of the Holy Spirit and his testimony to the person of Jesus. You can reject it all. Continually, there's a hardening of the heart that says, I've completely rejected the work of Christ. And if you die in that position, that's the sin he can't forgive. That's the way, that's the, the eternal sin, that you've rejected the move of the Spirit, the testimony of the Spirit, the work of Jesus as your Savior. I've rejected him. It's the eternal sin from which you are separated from God, which that by its definition is what hell is. I don't know if we disagree or you want to disagree if hell is a bunch of fire or hell is like whatever you want to interpret it to be. We talked last week. The goal in Christianity is not to escape hell, which is flames and whatever you want to find it out to be. The goal is to be not just in heaven where the streets of gold and, and mansions and whatever. The goal, real heaven, is eternity with God presence of God. You and I were created to know and enjoy God. And so to not know and enjoy God for eternity is in definition hell. That's the eternal sin. 
the, at the end of your days, cut off his work and say, I refuse to accept this as truth. That in its definition is the eternal sin. See, our goal is not heaven or hell, but it's Jesus. You and I, the goal in life, the purpose that we live and breathe is to know and enjoy God. My hope is that if you're in this room, it's because you're pursuing truth and, and not just that you don't, I, I would hope that you don't have a hardened heart to truth this morning. That you're seeking him. That you wouldn't accuse his works in your life as anything other than his works. That he is Lord, that he is God, that he is good. Um, in Romans 1, we see that he makes his invisible attributes. It says his eternal power and his divine nature clearly perceived since the beginning of the, of the world. God does reveal himself. See, don't just see his nature and then hear his testimony declared to you and cut it off. That's my fear, is that you would see his handiwork in your life. You would hear the testimony of the scripture and you would say, I refuse to believe. You would call him something else. See, Jesus was accused. Now we're going to go back to verse 20, the beginning there. And I want you to look at this. He wasn't just accused by the Pharisees, but there's other accusations here as well. Verse 20 says, then he went home and the crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. I don't really know what that means. I guess it's just a large enough crowd that Jesus wasn't able to go home and get food. I'm not sure 100%. Just so you know, if you're wondering what that means. They couldn't eat. Big crowd. No food. I don't know. You can laugh a little bit. Take a break. I know this is thick this morning. That's why I said we usually want to skip this part. It's okay to smile here. We're getting to the good news. It's all right. Okay, here we go. So when his family heard this, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. Going back down to the end of verse 31. And his mother and his brother came, and standing outside they sent to him, and they called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brother are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my mother or my brother and sister and mother. At the beginning of this passage, we see his family sees what's going on, and they think he is insane. They think this is craziness happening. So they come out to seize him, to get him, to control him, to keep him from doing what is gathering so much attention, what is drawing these crowds, good and bad, people who just want him and people who just want to accuse him like the Pharisees. His family comes out and they want to seize him, they want to stop him, and they literally say, you're nuts, you're, you're insane, you're crazy. And then when they come to get him, Jesus' response to them is rather strange. He says, Who's my mother and my brother and my sisters? Those who want to do the will of God are my mother and my brother and my sisters. See, Jesus came here to do the will of God, the will of the Father, at whatever cost. And his family, they're trying to restrain him from doing that will. And they accuse him of this insanity. They come against him. Jesus is accused again of two different things. One, of insanity, and two, of being from the devil, of being a liar. Jesus says to those around him that those who are for the will of the Father, for for my purposes, they are my family. Those who get who I am, they're my family. Those who are not accusing me of something else, they're my family. They get it. They get the point here. C.S. Lewis, we've we've mentioned this here before. C.S. Lewis 
says that you cannot look at Jesus as just a teacher, but you have to look at him. He was either Lord, lunatic, or a liar. The Pharisees look at Jesus and they call him a liar. You're not doing what you say you're doing. You're not from God. You're from Satan. His family comes and they say, he's out of his mind. You're a lunatic. We cannot just look at Jesus as a good teacher because it doesn't make sense. You can't be a good teacher who also claims to be the son of God because then clearly you're a lunatic or a liar. Jesus is either a Lord, who, who he is who he says he is, and you're on purpose with the will of God if you, if you agree with that. He's either that or a lunatic or a liar. Matthew, in the same, in the same example in Matthew chapter 12 where we see the same story, Jesus says this, he adds this, whoever is not with me is against me. He declares to them that you're either part of my family who understand that the work that I do through the Spirit is from God or you're against me. You think that I'm something completely, something completely different. You're either for me or against me. The Pharisees called him a liar. His, his family called him a lunatic. See, now here is the good news this morning. So everybody just, just relax a minute. This is good news right here. And I, w- I want you to see this. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. This morning, when, we read, when I read this the first time, it was one of those verses that just get you. It just kind of make you shake a little bit. So let's, let's read this together. 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 12. This is Paul writing here. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. Because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service. Verse 13. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. And the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received his mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were, in, were to, to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says, I was a blasphemer. I persecuted the church. I'm responsible for seeing them persecuted because I thought Jesus was a liar. Because I thought he was a lunatic. But God somehow intervened. He says, I acted, look at that, verse 13. Receive mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Verse 1, it says, he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. This is the beautiful image of the gospel. That we can walk through our life in unbelief, in doubt, in fears. But the Spirit of God compels us. The Spirit of God draws us. And when we recognize that we were wrong, we can't be our own Savior, like Paul, his religion, his, his ways of doing things were his own Savior, that it, when he realized that Christ was the Savior, that he was wrong, his life was completely changed. I hope you get this this morning. Paul says, I was a blasphemer. I called his work something other than sovereign. I called it something other than his. I called it something other than good. He says, I was ignorant. I didn't know better. But in mercy, his grace overflows in me. This morning, that's me. 
This morning, I hope that's you. That though you once acted in disbelief or unbelief, that you get to experience his grace and his mercy and his love. Today, you're still here. You're in this room. You're still wondering, God, I want to know you. I want to I I understand you. I want to I come to believe in you. His hand is at work. His hand is doing something. Don't look at it and say it's something other than his. Don't, don't end this day in disbelief. Don't, don't walk away from this day and say, I refuse to acknowledge you as good. I refuse to see your work in my life, and I refuse to hear your words in the gospel proclaimed and refuse to believe it as something else. See, Jesus Christ can forgive anyone of anything at any time. But if I end my life refusing to accept him as my Lord, and I make myself and my ways of thinking my Lord, then he cannot come in and be my Lord and Savior. That's the only thing. If I make myself my Savior, he can't be my Savior. I can look at him today and say, God, I need you to be my Savior. And I can commit all kinds of sin for the next few months Whatever. Hopefully I don't because I missed the point of the gospel, which changes my life. But he can forgive those things. Because in my heart I recognize that he is good and he is who he says he is. But if I choose to walk away saying, you know what, I refuse to believe. I'm hardening my heart. I'm making myself my own savior. Then he can't, he can't intervene with that. I hope that this week your anthem is First Timothy chapter 1. Remind yourself of that. I like that. I like that Paul says this. He says that the trust, the saying is trustworthy, that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the foremost. He says I'm the biggest sinner there is, and He came for me. He's forgiven everything, everything I've done. My per, His persecution of the church, the ways that He's killed and and captured, and just. He was a blasphemer, blasphemer and a persecutor. He walks away and he says, God says, I'm faithful. He's, in, he's entrusted me with this now. This morning, I hope this hits your heart the way it hits mine because I recognize that he is good and he, his love can forgive any sin except for my, my own pride. My own pride and declaring myself as Lord. If we, our worship team can come forward. I, I love the song that we sang this morning. I'm not going to drag this out. We're not going to do like a, a massive altar call. But I want you to look at your heart and say, do I, see the works of, do I see the work of God in my life? And do I look at it and say, nah, it's something else? Do I make up my own logical excuses for God? Do I make up my excuses for disbelief? Or do I recognize, you know what, I'm pursuing truth. And Christ is my truth this morning. As we sing this song about the cross... That's really the good news of why we exist. That's why we exist. Because it doesn't matter what anybody in this room's done. God looks at us all and says, it's not about your work or your, or your bad experience. It's about my cross. It's about the price that I paid for you so that you could experience me.